Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, Jesus, after his baptism, went out into the desert where he wrestled with the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And when he came out, in all likelihood, it seems that he went up to Galilee. And he started doing his ministry. He started preaching. And people came to him because he had a manner about him. He had authority. And he had compassion and care. And so he would reach out and people were healed. The blind were able to see. The lame walked. And he, he healed the lepers. And, and he was doing this ministry. And people were beginning to gather around him. But he had not yet gone home. A little town called Nazareth where he grew up. And it was a, a bit of a backwater. It was not even mentioned in the Old Testament hardly mentioned at all even in the New Testament. One reference was, can anything good come out of there? And just a, a tiny little place, kind of the, uh, well, it's just a one, a one light town, if that, maybe just a, a four-way stop at one point, but hardly even referenced. But Jesus goes back, goes to his hometown, People who grew up, that he grew up with. People who knew him, knew him well. Knew him from when he was a little kid. Knew him from when he was working with his father in the carpenter shop. Knew him and his six siblings. The family of Jesus. So this was a, a family that, and they were all well known. Now he comes back. He's been baptized. Jesus was told that he had a mission. God said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. He was tested in the desert. Now, the toughest test of all, hometown. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The, spirits, the scriptures you have just heard have been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. 
isn't this Joseph's son? And he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha. But the only one he healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him, forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the hill, but he passed right through them and went on his way. He got out his understanding, this hearing of his word. He offended them. Jesus offended them. He came to town. They all saw him. They hadn't seen him in a while. Came back. He went to the synagogue. And he stood to read the scriptures, which he did. And then he sat down, which is the position that rabbis take when they teach. He sat down before the people. He made a declaration about himself. That this is being fulfilled. That the day of the Lord has arrived with my arrival. The lame will walk, the deaf will hear, and the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free. This is all happening with my arrival. And they're thinking, this is great. Because we've heard what he did over in Capernaum. We heard what he did around the shores of Galilee. I've been waiting for him to get here. I've had this hip problem for some time. I want him to, to fix it. And my, my wife has had trouble hearing. I want her to fix it. All these problems in the community, all kinds of issues that exist in every gathering of people. Jesus said no said no. He's only going to help those who are outside that community. And he used it as, as an example. So well, you remember Elijah, Elijah didn't go to the people during that horrific famine. He went to the, wood, the widow on the coast side, the widow of Zarephath, and he stayed with her, and her son was raised from the dead. But Elijah went outside the family of faith. And then likewise, Elisha, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, Elisha, healed Naaman. But not one of the own, their own people. So Jesus is setting the tone that it's not just about those of us who are close to him, but those who are far off. 
those who are not inside the family of faith, but those who are outside the family of faith. And that the Lord's healing, the Lord's work, and the Lord's care comes according to his will. Think about it. Jesus didn't just walk through town, wave his arms, say, okay, everyone's, everyone's well. Everyone's healed. We're done. All the lepers don't have leprosy anymore. We'll go down to the cave and clear them all out. He didn't do that. One at a time, Jesus healed. One at a time. And when somebody came to him with a complaint, he would look beyond the complaint to what was the true affliction in the human heart. One at a time, Jesus did his work. And he said, not here, maybe not yet, but not here, not now. And the people were offended. They didn't hear what they wanted to hear. Jesus didn't say what they wanted to say. He didn't tickle their itching ears. He didn't say what, what he thought they should, that he should say. Jesus offended them. So they grabbed him, pushed him out to the edge of town, took him on the brow of a hill upon which Nazareth is built and endeavored to push him over. You know, the story of Jesus' rejection in his hometown is in all four Gospels, but only in Luke do we hear this story about them actually trying to kill him. They tried to kill, kill Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry. Hometown people, people who knew him, people who grew up with him. What on earth? We all thought Jesus was supposed to be this Jesus, sweet, sweet Jesus, meek and mild. He's supposed to make everyone happy. <laughs> He's supposed to make everyone feel good. He's not supposed to offend us. He's supposed to reinforce what we already think and what we already believe so that we can carry on with our lives and by implication not have to change the word of Jesus comes as an offense now think about it Jesus talks about the cup of suffering the towel of service, the cross, of living in order to die for God. There is a, a strong theme throughout the scriptures about the nature of Jesus in relationship to the people where he didn't just go in to make them feel good. He came in as a prophet to speak the truth. Even the man who was at the, at the pool of Bethesda, who had there, been there for 38 years, when Jesus sees him there, 38 years he's been there, and he's got all kinds of excuses. The first thing Jesus asks him, well, do you want to be well? Well, of course I want to be well. Well, do you want to be well? Kind of an offensive question, a little off-putting. But Jesus is the purveyor of truth. 
He's coming with the word of God. In our, our Exodus class, of course, we don't meet this week. I like to think because we've, we're on the Ten Commandments. We're, we've violated the Ten Commandments so many times, we're going to take a week off. We'll come back together. But think about the, the story of the commandments. Is that uniquely, it is the voice of God, God speaking to the people. Ordinarily, God is speaking to an individual prophet. God is speaking to the people. The commandments are given as the, the fundamental reality, not just of our faith, but of all life. This is God the creator, God the liberator, who speaks, and his word is true, and it is the foundation, it is the floor, and it is the, the base beneath which there is no greater foundation. Jesus comes with that word, that word of truth. And whatever's going on in any particular culture at any given time, whatever is popular, whatever constitutes the current consensus, ultimately doesn't change that floor. And God's relationship with us is personal, relational, and it puts upon us moral demands. Moral. It's a word that's kind of fallen away in our culture. What's, what's moral anymore? What, what is right and wrong? Can we speak in that way without offending somebody? Probably not. Jesus comes in with a, a clear voice, loving, but clear about the nature of reality in our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. He speaks the truth, speaks it in love, but it is the truth. And it's an offense. We don't like it sometimes. So yes, this week we go up to Chicago for this pastors' conference, and um, I'm in the I'm ordained in the Covenant Church, and and the Covenant Church was started by what I like to call a bunch of dumb Swedes, because I'm among them, <laughs> and and the reason why we go to Chicago is because the the rates are cheap in the middle of the winter. So that's what the covenant does. They look for the cheap rates everywhere. We'll go up there and we'll, we'll share ministry stuff together. A bunch of, bunch of pastors and a lot of lay people as well. It's a huge conference. Hundreds of people. But it's an opportunity to, to refresh and to kind of reaffirm what it means to be in ministry. What it means to do what we do, which is in no small manner to follow in what Jesus did, to follow the steps that Jesus trod, to try, to try to put ourselves in touch with that most fundamental reality of what it means to be a pastor in the church.
And whenever, whenever I'm up there, I always have conversations with pastors who tell me these hair-raising stories about how they have endured some kind of rejection. When sometimes the people of their churches have tried to throw them off the cliff. And the hard stuff that so many pastors go through. And I... I'm always sort of touched and moved by the faithfulness of so many of those who've been called by God and, and carry on and try to, try to persevere, try to love their congregations in the midst of it. And, and yet so often those pastors are in a tough place simply because they've tried to tell the truth tried to maintain a sense of what is, what is good and real and true. It's the evangelical covenant church. Evangelical, which is a term that's been hijacked by politics. It's, it's a good word that I, I am myself a happily evangelical. But that means nothing about my politics. But that's how language works. But the the term evangelical, as I say, has been hijacked. And, and also in our time, in our culture these days, it's like the, the deepest level of discourse is political. Would that we would talk about theology and argue theology again. If only the Catholics were the enemies again. <laughs> if we could talk theology. Tap deep into those realms where we actually touch the floor of what it means to be human. But no. We've handed over to the political realm so many issues that are so fundamental to life. So fundamental to what it means to be a human being and to be, to be a Christian. Many years ago, I had a couple come in to me. I had married them a couple years earlier. They came into the office, sat down with me, and they began to cry. They had become pregnant with triplets the old-fashioned way, not by any kind of intervention or anything like that. They were just newly married, wanted to have kids, and three and the doctor suggested a reduction. He said, because the chances are with three, there's a chance that one or more might be compromised. I remember them sitting across from me, the two of them in their chair, their chairs and me and mine holding their hands and weeping and praying. And I told them that I cannot make their decision for them. I told them that we as a church would stay with them, support them, love them, care for them, no matter what. Those three boys are now 22 years old. Two of them are normal, the third is a goofball. 
It's a source of humor. And he's always doing something that's a little bit on the crazy side. And I rejoice with them. Another couple came in. Very similar situation. Fourth child. Suggesting that because of an amniocentesis that the child might be a Down syndrome child. And likewise, I prayed with them. Told them that no matter what, we would be with them. We'd support them and care for them. Oh boy, is, has been recognized by his college as one of the best pitchers they've ever had. Came into this life, beautiful couple with four, four kids. And they now are starting to have grandkids. And that little boy is just normal, if there is such a thing good kid I cannot believe that Jesus would countenance the loss of human life that has become so cavalier in our time. And we, miss, we must make no mistake. A child in the womb is a child. Uniquely constructed, initiated, uniquely loved with its own DNA, with its own genetic material, On Christmas Day, I FaceTime with my daughter, Amy, and Luke, who was born seven and a half weeks early. When the picture came on the phone, here was this round little face, head up, bobbing around. And I saw the, that little boy I wept with joy. The gift of God is the gift of life. It's precious. Now I know, I know the moral complexities. I know as a pastor that there are circumstances that are very difficult. And I also know that that these are decisions that women make that typically guys are not a part of. But I also know we are mysteriously and wonderfully made and we ought to be a church to one another when such circumstances come in upon the lives of our young people. Twenty years ago, 
lost a job because this is the way I preached. I got thrown over the cliff. And what I must say is we are here for one another. We cannot step inside anyone else and occupy their heart or know what it is that they must go through. And under all circumstances, we have to stand with one another and care for one another in the midst of the messiness of life and the hard decisions that life brings upon us. At the same time, we do so because all life is sacred. All of life is precious. And all of life is to be honored at whatever stage we find ourselves. You know, God loved you and me before he laid the foundations of the earth, before the Big Bang, before any of it ever happened. You were known and loved and given a purpose in life. So not one of us have done it right. But we persevere to love one another, to serve our God, and honor Christ in all that we are and all that we have. Will you join me in prayer? Father, you know the human heart. You know the many ways in which our hearts break. You know the anguish. You know the pain. And yet, you are with us. No matter what, you love us, you forgive us, you give us newness of life, and you give us what, it, what we need to carry on. Lord, thank you that while we foul up, you redeem. While we make all the mistakes, you make all things right. We thank you, O Lord, and we pray in your precious name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.